1: If you folks brought your Bibles today, I'd like you to get them out and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Today I want to speak on the topic of the influence of others that can affect your Christian growth. And so I trust that today this might be a real blessing to you. Let me identify the people that I'm speaking to. Primarily my message this morning is going to be for those who already know Jesus Christ as their Savior and are going to heaven when they die. How many here are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? All right, this is speaking to you today. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand and you're hoping to go to heaven, but you're not absolutely certain of going to heaven, I promise you that I'm going to tell you by the end of the message the only thing you need to do, so simple that you can have the assurance of being heaven-bound before you leave today. So that is here for you. Predominantly, this message, it can help all of you, but right now for those that know Christ as Savior. So here am I. I'm 60. And I know that uh, sometime in my life, probably in the next uh, maybe couple decades, When I die, I'm going to be in heaven. So I'm on a journey right now, and my journey is between planet Earth and heaven. Sometimes we think of that journey taking place the moment we die. When we die, then our journey begins to go to heaven. Actually, our journey is from here, there. Now, to go from here to heaven, this journey is not fraught with a lot of good deeds that'll get me into heaven. I'm already going to wind up in heaven. Now, stay with this little analogy. On this journey, when I arrive in heaven, I'm going to be 100% perfect when I get to heaven. I'm going to be 100% totally mature when I get to heaven. Why? Because in heaven, you'll get a new body, a new mind. You're already with the Lord. So you have all maturity, all perfection when you get to heaven. Yet on my journey to heaven, God wants me to be continually maturing and growing and becoming, if I can use the term, perfect. A better word to say, even though I'm not going to be sinless until I get to heaven, God wants me to what? Sinless as I'm going on my journey to heaven. Now, with that in mind, I would like for you to not only set your goal that when you get to heaven, but between now and the time you die and then take that final journey to heaven, you would want to set as your goal spiritual maturity. Now, this message is on the road to spiritual maturity today. How many of you have taken a trip maybe in the last uh, year, maybe to another island, or to the mainland, or to another country? Would you raise your hand? How many have ever done that, all right? Most of us, probably when we left the island, we had to do it by way of an airplane to get there. But I'm talking now about those of us that had to drive somewhere when we went to a location. For us, it might be driving to the airport. Those of you that have been on the mainland, you rent your car or borrow a car and you're driving along the mainland. And so as we're going to our journey, our final location, we have to get there. Paul was on that same journey as well. He knew that he was going to heaven because he accepted Christ as his Savior by faith alone. But he also knew that before he got to heaven that God had a desire for him and that was that he would become spiritually mature. So he was on the road towards spiritual maturity. Now, as he was heading to spiritual maturity, he was getting closer as every day went by. He was heading on that particular road. If you will, take just a moment and look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 and see if I can make some sense for that. Here's what it says. Paul says, Not that I have already attained. And in your margin, you might want to put the word "arrive." Not that I've already arrived at spiritual maturity or am already perfect or mature. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived there. I'm on that road to spiritual maturity. He says, but I press on. Would you underline that? He said, even though I'm not there and I'm not perfect yet, I'm not quitting. I'm staying on that journey. And I'm going to make that goal being spiritually mature. I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Let me see if I can make that extremely simple. What the Lord is saying is, he says, I saved you by my grace. You are my child, but I don't want you to be a baby Christian. I want you to grow. So I'm holding on to you, and I want you to become spiritually mature. So my goal in your life, he says, is you to become spiritually mature before you get into heaven. And so he has a hold on me. Now, if that's his goal for me, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that our goal for us should be the same goal God has for us. And if it is, then I want to lay hold of the goal of becoming spiritually mature, because that's what he has for me in my life as a goal. So my question to you is, will you now partner with the Lord to say, I want to be spiritually mature? Now, if you think about that, that is a very important fact to have. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, or again, we could say, arrived. Now, how do I make sense out of that? Very simple. Listen carefully now. What he's saying here is, God, Jesus, he wants me to be spiritually mature. He has a hold on my life for that. And I want to be that too. I'm not there yet. I want to get there and press in on, but I'm not there yet. Do you know why that's so important? Because some of us can buy into the fact that if I go to church regularly and if I do all these things that all these seminars tell me that I need to do, that I am now doing it, therefore I am fully spiritually mature. That's ludicrous to think that. Because then we're saying we're better than the Apostle Paul. And Paul is saying, I'm not there yet on my road. I want to get there, but I'm still not there yet. And so what I'd like for us to do as we begin this message is to develop a teachable spirit, an honest, humble spirit to say, yes, Lord. I want to quit monkeying around in my Christian life. I don't want to survive for Christ. I want to thrive for Christ. And I know that my spiritual maturity is not going to happen accidentally. It's going to happen intentionally. And so I'm not there yet, but I know where I want to go. And now I'm learning how to get to where I need to go. Now, here's a caveat for some of us. In Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he speaks to this whole idea of a journey of walking with God. And when he does, he leaves us very clear to know that if we're not moving forward in our spiritual maturity, in our walk with God, then we're actually going backwards. Do you know what that's saying? That for us, if we're not moving forward, there is no middle ground. We do not plateau. It's like if we're not crawling up a mountain, we're going back down the mountain. Let me read you the verse in Jeremiah at 7, 23 and 24. It says, But this is what I command them, saying, Obey my voice, the Lord says, and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And I'll, and I'll walk with you in all the ways. And you walk with me in all the ways I've commanded you, that it may be well with you. And here's what he says as a commentary. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but they walked in the counsel and in the stubbornness and the imagination of their evil heart. And here's the phrase. And they went backwards And not forwards so where we need to be as believers in christ is to say i want to be spiritually mature it's not going to happen accidentally there's no escalator to take me up what i need to do is purposely choose to go in that direction staying with this idea of having to travel in a car somewhere and we want to get to a place going to heaven and going to our spiritual maturity is far more important than arriving at a particular destination But when we drive, have not we been taught long enough and hard enough now that as we're driving that we need to be very careful about being distracted while we're driving so that we can arrive safely at our destination? Haven't we been taught that? What I am telling you is this, is that while we're driving, any distraction that we have that causes us to lose focus may hinder us from getting to our destination. Our destination for Christians, not necessarily now, is heaven. That is automatic when we trust Christ as Savior. Spiritual maturity is not. That's a choice we make by not getting distracted. And you think about it for a moment. I don't mean to be ludicrous, but when a person is driving and they lose distraction, it may be because something slid off the dash of their car. But more than not, it's going to be because someone walked by, they got their head, they looked at, they were looking to see something happened. People, here's where I'm going with this, it's often people that'll be the ones, the predominant ones that will distract us. Now, let me not turn this into a negative illustration. Let's do a positive one. Now, you men will really relate to this. How many of us men have literally had our, our bacon saved when we're driving and for whatever reason we weren't paying attention and our wife went, look out, or went, Ugh! and sucked all the oxygen out of the car? All right, men, how many of you be willing enough to admit that? Would you raise your hand? okay. The wives are all going, you stick your hand up. You you know how many that's happened to. And I'm going to tell you now that, watch this, people are not only a bad distraction, but some people happen to be very good because what they do is they come alongside us and when we are getting distracted from our goal, they then nudge us in the right direction and remind us what we should be doing so we can stay back on focus again. So people don't necessarily have to be a bad distraction. They can be a good distraction. It just depends on the person that's in our life. And so that's where we're going with this. I want to remind you of one verse just to tell you that it is bad company that will corrupt good behavior. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says that. And so since that is predominant in scripture and there is so much to be said about negative people in our life, I want us to be remembering that, that it is the right choice of people in our life that will keep us focused on our goal to spiritual maturity. But it all boils down to this. Is that your goal, spiritual maturity? Number two, do you want to be spiritually mature? Number three, are you willing to pay the price to become spiritually mature by the choice of people you have in your life? And my desire is that we would all grow to spiritual maturity, just like the Apostle Paul was and wanted to as well. Well, I hope that helps you. So let's answer the question now. What should we do in our relationship with others to help us continue in spiritual growth? Number one, follow people who are good examples. Dropping down into the passage to verse 17 Look what Paul says here. He says, brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. I'm going to kind of take that verse apart for you. Circle the word brethren there. That tells you right off the bat that he's speaking to Christians right now. So this particular message is why I said this is for those who know Christ as Savior. Brethren, so for those of you, he says, join in following my example. Circle the words join in. That's saying now, he says, we can't do this alone. We all need to work on this together. While we need good people in our life and to avoid the people who will distract us, we also need the people in our life who will remind us that we do need good people in our life. So that's why we're always surrounding ourselves with the kind of people that have the same goal, spiritual maturity, that realize that we can get distracted and are helping us get to the goal just like we want to help them. So join in following my example. The word example there is who I am, my pattern, follow my pattern, imitate me. And note those who so walk, as you have us as a pattern. So it says, watch those who are also walking with you. So follow people with good examples. You know, it's interesting how that God has so wired humanity that we would be what we call imitators or followers. I've used this illustration when I was teaching the book of Ephesians, but for you guests, this might be helpful to you. We know that children are already, uh, their DNA is to mimic their mom and dad. God put that in there because God wanted them to have godly parents. They're going to be the ones that will have the greatest and best influence on their kids. And so he says, I want you to mimic them. Well, that concept of mimicking goes deeper than that. The mimic goes this way. The reason you do this with mom and dad is because I want you, as soon as you know as a child that God is first in your life, you begin to mimic God. But mom and dad, you're going to help him mimic God because if you mimic God, they'll mimic God. So they're going to see how to mimic God by watching you mimic God. So we want to follow because God wired us to be imitators. But the problem is that imitation DNA goes beyond that. Because we want to imitate, we're going to imitate anybody that's around us. I imagine if we were raised by monkeys, we probably would hardly walk. But you get my point. Now, if you went into the real world of, of athletes today, how many kids today, if you remember our generation, that have worn or maybe still wearing Michael Jordan's jersey? And of course, I want to be like Michael Jordan. He's their hero. They talk Michael Jordan. Well, when Michael Jordan finally retired, do you know what happened with Nike? Their stock dropped 5% on the day that he retired. Then you hear about Mark McGuire. He hit that famous 70th uh, home run. That ball went for $3 million. Now, why did it do that? Because it was such an important ball. It's so, because again, it's part of that. I want to follow the winners. I want to follow what's going on. I'm not saying that that's bad necessarily. I'm going to say that that's part of our mechanism is to follow, to imitate. If that's the case, now the difference between being spiritually immature and mature would be the people... That we would choose to imitate. And so he is now telling us the kind of people that we should imitate. Even Paul goes on to say, join in following my example. Be followers of me just as I am of Christ. That's the key. So I now selected, I think, in this passage of Philippians, two areas in which we should look at in a person's life to decide if they're a good person that I should mimic. So what would be two areas? The first one would be check out their attitudes. Now, obviously, there are a lot of attitudes that make a person a good person to follow. Some are not good attitudes, but I picked out from this passage three. There are three in this passage. So if you had to bring it down to three and you wanted to start uh, eating three bites, these would be your three bites. What should they be? Number one, they would forget the good and bad of their past. The people you want to follow that are good examples will not bring their past into the present. In other words, they shed that old baggage. They're not going to be talking about those bad old days and they feel so badly about how bad they are that they're carrying around all this junk and all this stuff of guilt. And so they're hard to really focus with because they're thinking about the bad past. So now it becomes the bad present because you become what you think about. So it's just to forget about that. Paul says, I forgot about my, my past, but also the good. There are some people, all they want to do is to live in those old glory days. You know, I'm getting a little older now, as you can tell, and so sometimes I hang around some of them, the guys I went to Bible college with and seminary, and I'm around some of these seminary profs, and it's so interesting when you're around the pros. they often do not talk about where is Christianity going today, but they want to talk about where Christianity has come. Then they're going to talk about their old days and how the church used to be and what we used to have. And all they have are old stories of people that they connected to in the past. That's not necessarily bad. But at the same time, it can be very dangerous because it gets to be stale thinking. Times are changing. Message doesn't change. Methods change. And we try to force old methods into the new methodology today, and it jams up the message. And so we can't do that. So if you're around people today, be careful that they're not just talking about what they used to do in the past. Let me give you a caveat. We're talking about driving again. Does that mean we never look past no, we should. In fact, the Old Testament, if you remember, when they went from uh, Egypt into the promised land, or actually in the desert, to the promised land, they were to put out memorial rocks. And they were to look back at that, and those memorial rocks were to remind them of what the Lord has done. But when they went through the desert into the promised land, and the memorial rocks were behind them, they didn't walk backwards keeping their eyes on those memorial rocks, okay? They, they knew they were there. They glanced back there. That was to indicate visibly what God has done for them. So we do look in the past, we celebrate what he has done, but we don't live in the past. We look at the past, we see where we failed, we look at those scars and we say, that's a lesson for us not to repeat that evil or sin again. Now we look to the future. And so we forget the past. So one of the things we have to do with a good attitude is forgetting those things that are in the past, the bad things and the good things. the second point, we need to reach to the future. You can't grab a hold of the past and still reach to the future. So he says, in reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So again... There are two things that are ahead for us. The first thing that's ahead for us is going to be heaven. I look forward to seeing the Lord. I don't look forward to the undertaker. I look forward to the upper taker. You know, that kind of thing. The one will take me up to heaven. I look forward to the day that I'm going to be in heaven. But there are some people that can sit around looking so much forward. I can't wait till I get to heaven that they forget about that. We have to also live in the nasty here and now instead of the sweet by and by. And so the other goal that I look for is that I need to be spiritually mature. Why do I need to be spiritually mature? Because the people that are around me, particularly my kids and grandkids, they're coming up as well, and they demand a spiritually mature man in their life. And that would be me at this stage. And so we do need to be spiritually mature. So I look at the past. I forget those things. I thank God for what was there. I grieve over the things, but I leave the things that I grieve over. And now I move ahead to the future for spiritual maturity. So let me ask you, are you on a race? Are you saying, I want to be spiritually mature? That word reach toward, you know how you kind of wrote that in there? Now would you circle it? You want to reach to that. You want to say, that's out there. I want to get there. I remember um, I hadn't surfed in a long time. And so when you don't surf in a while, you forget how far out you have to paddle. And so you get out there real far and you got to paddle, and then of course, you know, the brakes are out there, and of course, the end of the surfing, and now you got to paddle all the way back. You used up most of your energy to get out there, and you might get one or two waves, hopefully. If not, then you know you're burning energy until you finally get that wave, and you, you're so foolish you stay out there because you're so tired and you can't catch these waves. You don't have enough energy, but you're not going to go in because then you're a total failure and you wasted the day. So you're just, I'll get one, I'll get one. And then you get one, and the wave peters out, and you still got to paddle all the way back in. You cannot imagine. My lungs are screaming, oh, save me, Lord. Oh, help me, Lord. But I don't want to have any lifeguard help me. You know what I mean? You're going to do it by yourself. But you know what? That's an illustration that I want to reach towards spiritual. I'll pay the price to be spiritually mature. I hope you'll pay the price to be spiritually mature. Look for people who also want to be spiritually mature that are reaching forward to the same goal you have. You don't need a lot of friends. You need a quality of friends. And then go on to the third point. It says here, they are open to God's instruction in the present. We can't do it alone by just saying, I can move forward in spiritual maturity on just what I've already learned. We've got to keep eating the meat to continue growing, to have the energy to spiritually move forward. Go on, it says this. I press toward the goal. Woo! I reach forward. I press toward. What great words those are. I don't care what your personality base is. Some of you, you you'll you'll resonate with that because you're the dominant personalities, goal setters. Some of you that are very quiet, don't get lazy in your quietness and celebrate the fact that you're quiet. You can celebrate that you're quiet, but use that as a solid way to continue to grow quietly, but reach forward. Then it says here, For the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. So be open to today's instruction of in the present. Now, if you don't mind, I want to give you a sidebar for a moment. Tucked away in this passage is a principle that I think would be helpful to us now as we're on our road to spiritual maturity. There are some of us that are going to now embrace what we're learning today. And we're saying, okay, I want to be spiritually mature. Good friends can help me do that, although I can't depend on friends to make me spiritually mature. They're just kind of coaches and cheerleaders, and they're going to kind of run interference so I can get to spiritual maturity. But some of you might say, yeah, but I want to be, what do I have to actually do to be spiritually mature? You know, there's knowing the words, forsaking sin, growing, abiding in the word, etc., But the little verse I wanted to show you is to answer this question. What happens on my road to spiritual maturity if I accidentally think that's my road, but I'm I'm getting getting off the road? I'm maybe going the wrong direction. How do I know that I'm really being where I should be spiritually? That's where this verse comes in says, if you really want to be like-minded with the Lord, if you really want to have the same mind of Christ, if you're any wise-minded, in other words, you don't have the right thoughts to get you to spiritual, don't worry about it. God says he will then instruct you. You will have exposure by a sovereign God through either friends or teaching or something or your quiet time. God will bring truth to you if you're going off the path. That's God's promise. But it's only open to those who want to go to that spiritual maturity that are willing to pay the price. And God is going to shout if you've got a, It's like. How many of you have a GPS system in your car? Anybody have a GPS? You know what those are, don't you? I had a friend who had one. It was a a lady, uh, not the lady friend. It was a lady's voice in this GPS. By the way, for some of you that don't know what a GPS is, I think you punch in where you are. You definitely punch in where you want to go, and then you hit something, and and as you're driving, you'll have a screen up there, and, and a person who's recorded will say, Turn left two blocks. Three blocks, and if you get wrong, they'll say turn around and, 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 and then they'll, they'll reposition you. So it's hard to get lost if you're watching your GPS. The only problem is you probably will smash your car because you're watching your GPS while you're doing that. This guy depended on his GPS so much that he called his GPS, Lady's Voice Angel you know, because an angel was telling him. Now, why am I telling you the story? God, like a big GPS, will be through the word and through the spirit redirecting you if you're off path. Now, here's the thing. We're depending upon the Lord, not a GPS system, but it only works if it's turned on. And if your heart is turned on to this, I want to be spiritually mature. I'm doing the best that I can, but just in case I miss it, because there's a lot there on spiritual maturity, I don't want you to fret. I don't want you to think, man, I'll, I'll wind up in the ditch because I'm just so stupid and I can't do this. No, you're not. God says, I'll help you. That's what that verse is saying. You want to be around people that have enough confidence in a sovereign God to help them and you get the spiritual maturity. So who is spiritually mature in your world? Probably someone who's a little bit older than you, often if they've been walking with the Lord longer. Maybe it's someone that's in your own sphere of influence. But it's very, very important to do this, how important that is. Spend time with them. Work on each other. Get in the same vehicle. You know, paddle in the same canoe to that same direction of spiritual maturity. All right, number two. What's the other area? It's going to be in their actions. He goes on to say in verse 16 and 17, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. So he's saying to them, like, if you and I have already come to some degree of spiritual maturity, we're not at the final destination, but we're more spiritually mature today than we were yesterday, let us walk by the same rule. Walk is the operative word of action. Let us be of the same mind. So let's think the same things and go in the same direction. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Let's get together on the team to do this. So he says, let's help out. Let's be a part of this. Some of you, maybe at this stage of the message, are saying, okay, I know I need to get there. I kind of know the kind of friends that I have. Just because they're Christian does not mean that they're the people that you should follow. Just because they carry the right Bible doesn't necessarily mean they should be the ones that you should follow. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just saying be very careful. So what would be the first thing that you should do? There's two things you can do in order for you to find the good person that should help you on your road to spiritual maturity. There's only two things. I'm going to reduce it to these two. They are found in Psalms with our dear, dear friend, the greatest king Israel had ever known, David. Number one, be on the lookout for them. How do you find him? Be on the lookout. David knew the value of needing quality people in his life. And if you remember, he had people that were willing to die to just get him a drink of water. We had people that were willing to do what they were told to do, even if it meant their own death while David was sleeping with their wife, unknowingly. And so he had a band of guys who were willing to follow him. He knew how to pick his guys. When you look at them, they kind of were scruffy old guys that were throwaways from the world. But these guys had their hearts right. So what you've got to do is don't always look at the outward appearance. You've got to sense their heart. And so here's what it says. Mark, the blameless man. Blameless means that they're not without sin, but they've dealt with it in such a way that it's now behind them. Then it says, observe the upright. So circle the word mark and observe. It's interesting how the word observe in the New Testament Greek, it's talking about you scope them out. Kind of has the idea of a microscope. You really focus on them. For the future or the posterity of that person is peace.